Well, it's been a great morning so far. Thanks to everyone who's had a part in our service uh, this morning. Uh, to the men who have uh, helped in leading, uh, thank you. And it's, I remind the church that it's very important that men are leading in the church. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, notice what he says, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the, the leadership, the activity of men in the church is uh, called for in the New Testament. And it's called for training men up in the New Testament and for them being active in fulfilling their roles. So I'm very grateful for everyone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, it has truly been good to be here today already. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for your word that gives us instruction. Uh, Father, uh, with the psalmist, I can say on all of our behalves, Lord, who, who can understand his errors? Cleanse us from secret faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over us. Then we shall be blameless. Then we shall be innocent of great transgression. Father, please do this. Keep us from our errors. Cleanse us from our secret faults. Keep us from presumptuous sins. Father, for the ways which we have omitted that which you've told us to do or committed those things which you have told us not to do this week. Forgive us, please. And I thank you, Father, for your holiness. And I thank you for your goodness, this kindness that you give us that leads us to repentance, that though you are a holy God, yet, Father, you're merciful. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We come to you today in his name, and I pray you'll bless your word as I seek to deliver it to your people now. Amen. All right. This morning, guys, I don't I don't have the transition button up here on the on the platform, so I need some help there. Um, we're going to, if you want to, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Third John, back where we were last week, and we're going to go from there pretty quickly. But what I want to talk to you about today is church division. Thank you, an affront to the gospel. Church division and affront to the gospel. All right, so in Third John, and we're going to do a, a quick study this morning, so y'all, y'all be ready. Uh, we've got a lot to look at and a little time to do that. Third John, real quick, I'm going to point out to you the one who was, we might call divisive in that church, Diotrephes. I hope you remember him. He's the ungodly church member of Third John. In verse 9, it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, Preeminence means first place, by the way. Uh, among them does not receive us. Therefore, he says in verse 10, If I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Diotrephes is very devilish, it seems, in his behavior. Over in Isaiah chapter 14, the Bible tells us there of four of five statements that Lucifer makes. Um, it is his. It is what he says in his heart. It is his attitude. In Isaiah fourteen, 
verse 12. And this is one of the passages, the main one in the Old Testament concerning the fall of the devil. And it says here, Isaiah 14, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13, notice these five statements in the next two verses. For you have said in your heart, here's the first one, I will ascend into heaven. And then the next one, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Number three, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest sides of the north. Verse 15, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And lastly, he says, I will be like the most high. Five I will statements that shows here that Lucifer's objective in life in his existence was not the glory of God, but it was the glory of self. And we see that in these statements saying, I will I will, I will, I will, I will. It might be for us these days, I want, I want, I want, I want. But Lucifer displayed this uh, desire for self rather than for the glory of God. He says in verse, it says in verse 15, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So uh, I start off with that in this topic of church division and affront to the gospel to show that Diotrephes, this one who was obviously causing problems in the church, causing division in the church, uh, was Satan-like, devilish-like, and because he was looking out for himself. He wanted to be first place. And so often it is that that uh, occurs when there's division in, in a church. Now, you might say, why are we even looking at that? Because, and, and the reason for that is because we are a church and there is the potential for division. And in addition to that, we have experienced division at times. So we want to be careful with this. and We also want to teach to it so that we can grow to become a more and more healthy church, a perfect man in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, the sermon series that we're looking at here is Life in the Local Church. I want to go to our first point here, and I want to talk to you about division. And first of all, there is an unavoidable division. You're going to feel like I'm talking about of both sides of my mouth this morning from some of the things that I uh, say to you. But first thing that we will see here from Luke chapter 12, verse 15, is that division is actually something that Jesus causes. Because in uh, Luke 12, verse 51, rather, Luke 12, 51 Jesus says to his disciples, do you suppose that I came to bring to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And verse 52, he says, for from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Thankfully, this isn't the case in every situation. But what Jesus is getting at here is what the gospel does. It's what He does in the lives of people. You, now, quick explanation on this. If you remember that great uh, verse about conversion in uh, Acts 2416, 20, I, I think, is it? But there, it talks about we've been delivered from 
Darkness to light. All right, there's division. Darkness, light. From Satan to God, there's division. In, the, in, a, in a household, there may be those who are in darkness because they're not, they do not believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But there may be in that same household those who have believed in the gospel. So there is a division that has taken place. So Jesus causes division in that regard. Point number two is this. There's an unavoidable unity. See, I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. In Christ, there is a division, an unavoidable division. In Christ, there is an unavoidable unity. If you care to turn to your Bibles, in your Bibles to John chapter 17, we see this in the uh, high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. John 17, and I don't have this verse on the screen, but you can find it in verse 11 if you'll turn there. I don't have this as a reference. But John 17, verse 11, Jesus, as he's praying on the eve before his crucifixion, prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. But in verse 11, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, Now I am no longer in the world... But these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus is praying for this oneness, for this unity among the disciples. Now, if you'll go to verse 20. In verse 20 of John 17, again, I'll remind you, this is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. The night before he was crucified, right after the taking of the Lord's Supper. In verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We have believed in Christ through the word of the apostles. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So our unity comes in the Father and in the Son. You see it there in verse 21. That they also may be one in us. And then next, at the end of verse 21, that the world may believe that you sent me. It's interesting. He gives us the reason that he prays for this unity among the church. It's that the world may believe that God sent Jesus Christ. The church is making that evident to the world through our oneness in the Father and in the Son. Going on from there in verse 22, he says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. There's a lot to unpack right there. But the reason we can be one is because Christ has shared His glory with us. Were it not for His righteousness... His alien righteousness that we have, it's alien to us. It's it's His personally, but we have it. It might be passive righteousness from the conference yesterday uh, that our youth went to. We have a passive righteousness because of Christ's righteousness being put to our account. We didn't do anything to earn it. So he shares his glory with us that we might share in the glory of God. And then in verse 23, he says, I and them, or he prays, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect 
in one. And that the world, there it is again, may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Gives us two reasons here for our oneness. It is again because he wants the world to know that God sent his son. And the second reason is that the world may know that God has loved us as he loved the son. So this oneness, this unity that the church has been given is really unavoidable because we have this in Christ. The second subpoint here is we have a sevenfold unity. You can look to Ephesians chapter 4, a sevenfold unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes saying in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Now I'm getting to verse 3. Ephesians 4, now verse 3. I told you all y'all got to be ready this morning. Uh, verse 3, he says, Endeavoring, and it actually goes beyond 4, it goes to verse 6. Um, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you see there that we have a unity. The unity is not of our own making. It is a unity that has been given to us by the Spirit of God. Why do we have the Spirit of God? Because we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why have we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because of the grace of God in our lives to awaken dead sinners that we might understand the gospel and embrace it by faith and be saved from our sins. So this spirit, this unity that we have is given to us by the Spirit of of Christ. And then this is where the sevenfold unity comes in. Now I've coined this myself, sevenfold unity. So I totally got, I came up with this on my own as far as I know. So if this is completely off, all out of bounds for some reason, then it's, it's all on me, I guess. But it makes sense to me. Verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. That's the first three. One body, the body of Christ. One spirit, the spirit of Christ. One hope, it's hope in Christ. Verse 5, the next three. One Lord, Jesus Christ. One faith in Christ. One baptism into Christ. Christ. That's the second three. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So that's six. And now the seventh is this in verse six. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So the seventh fold of the unity is God the Father. And you notice If I'm correct in saying the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ, one hope in Christ, one Lord Jesus Christ, one faith in Christ, one baptism in Christ. And then it says, and one God and Father, not of just Christ, but of all. And why is he the God and Father of all? It's because Christ was raised from the dead. 
And when Mary clinged to him after he was raised from the dead, he said, do not cling to me for I must ascend to my father. But go and tell my my brethren that I ascend to my God and to your God. Rather, it's this to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Why is God our father? It is because of Jesus Christ and what he has done to accomplish this unity for us as a church. So you see, it is a precious, precious thing that we have and that we are to have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence, church division is an affront to the gospel. Um, Jesus is calling us to unity. He has prayed for our unity and Christ has given us an unavoidable unity through what he has done to save us. Now, the third point is this. There's an unavoidable endeavor. You may have seen it there in verse three because he uh, Paul writes to them and says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, thinking about in endeavoring here, you know, this what does endeavor mean? You know, I recently cleaned up my garage. That's one of the things that I accomplished during Snowmageddon, ice, my ice Mageddon or whatever it was, this past couple of weeks ago. I was able to get my garage cleaned up, and boy, did it need it. And you know what? I'm endeavoring to keep it organized and clean. I'm endeavoring. So that's a goal that I have. I want that to stay the way that it is now. I want to preserve it. So every day I may need to put something in the garbage, clean, clean up something up, put something away, sweep the floor. So it takes effort to do so. So endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit takes some effort on behalf of the church. And what we'll see here, first of all, is that each one is responsible. And I can't spend time very, very long here, but in verse seven of Ephesians four, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right. And then he gives some gifts. But if you go down to verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, it's something endeavoring uh, that we all have to be endeavoring to. And we've all been equipped. We talked about and studied through spiritual gifts Back last year. And one of the ways in which we have been equipped to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit is by employing our spiritual gifts in the church for the benefit of everybody else. All right, so that's the first point. The second one sub point there that we have. I need you guys to transition that for me. I'm not able to do it. Uh, the second sub point is the nonsense of church division. If you'll go back to First Corinthians, you might know if you've read your Bibles very much that the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. And one of them was division. That's one of the major ones that they have. And Paul does not um, congratulate them for that. He's not, he's not happy about it. Um, and we can turn here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And you'll see what it says He's, to them. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, you can see the importance there in verse 10, but I want to throw a, take a little time here to remind you of the importance of being under the preaching of the Word as we assemble as a church. Uh, when you're here for church, you ought not be hanging out in some other part of the building. You ought not be sitting, standing out front talking to one of your buddies. You ought not be getting caught up on something while the service is going on, while the assembly is taking place. You ought to be in here. You ought to be under the preaching of the Word because we need to be hearing the same things and we need to be speaking the same things. And the way we do that is by hearing the Word of God preached. That's one of the ways. And then we are unified together in mind and in spirit because we've heard the same thing, not from the some man who... Um, who is standing here but by the authority of the Word of God. That's how it comes about. So don't diminish the time where we get together and the Word of God is preached because this is an important time. We all need to hear it. And if you're gone, you need to catch up with it on live stream. You need to go back. We have resources out there where you can hear what the church has heard because missing it is not, not good because we all need to be hearing it. We all need to be speaking the same things, that there be no divisions among us. So I encourage you with that. He goes on in verse, uh, let's go down to verse 12. It says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and or, or I am of Apollos, or, or I am of Cephas, and that would be Peter, or I am of Christ. So you see four different divisions there. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say I had baptized in my own name. Verse 16, you, Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, if you'll go with me to chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul addresses this further. And in verse 1, I'll start there. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Carnal means fleshly. They're thinking like mere men, as we'll see. Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For, there are, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like, I love this part, and behaving like mere men. You're just acting like a man. The women are like, I'm glad they said man, not women. Just acting like lost men. Verse 4, For when one says, I am of Paul, or another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? 
So there should be none of this. I like Brother David, really. I like you know, I like Brother Eric. I really prefer him. There's none of that. We are one in Christ. We are following Christ. That is our goal. That is our objective as a church to follow Him and to be like Him. In verse 5, he continues, he says, Who then is Apollos? And who is Apollo? Who is Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. That's it, right? As the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Our third sub-point here is uh, there are necessary factions. Here I go, talking out of both sides of my mouth. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is hidden right in here in the... Um, in the uh, instructions about the Lord's Supper, in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us that even though these factions are there, there there's this stuff going on in the church where they are, they are divided. They are not looking out for one another. They are more concerned about themselves. They are being a little more like Diotrephes. They are being like the devil. I will, I will, I will, or we will, we will, we will. Um, these little subgroups may be in the church, but notice what he says in verse 19. For there also, there must also be factions among you. So in other words, he's saying it's necessary for factions to be among you that those who are approved, or your translation might say genuine, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. I'm glad that's there. Because the reality of church life is we are all sinful human beings still. Though we are justified by faith in Christ, we are yet in our sinful state. And when you get a bunch of people who are yet in their sinful states together, we are going to sin against one another. There will be people who are offended. There will be people who cannot reconcile, who will not reconcile, who will not forgive. And unfortunately, there are factions at times. But Paul says here, for the Corinthians... That it was necessary that the those who are genuinely following Christ would be made evident that it would be obvious who they are. Now let's go to our next one. Dealing with the divisive. Dealing with the divisive. We'll read these scriptures, though I can't I will not spend long with them. Alright, so in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, dealing with the divisive. The Bible actually tells us. Uh, how to do this. And we'll probably pick back up on this because I need to spend one Sunday morning um, looking at church discipline. So we'll probably come back to this. But Romans 16, verse 17, he writes to the Romans and he says now, the Roman church, and he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. So it's kind of like the diatrophies. Note diatrophies. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So turn away from them. You've been walking down the street or walking down the hallway and you see somebody coming you didn't want to talk to and you, they didn't see you so you quickly turn and go the other direction. It's kind of that picture. Avoid them. Turn away from them. 
Verse 18, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, it's easy to look out and say, well, that person, that person, whatever. But here's what our responsibility is personally. Each one of us personally have this responsibility in verse 17. To make sure that our conduct is not contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. You've got to look at your life and I've got to look at my life through the lens of Scripture and ask, is my conduct toward another believer in Christ contrary to the doctrine of the gospel? And if it is, as we examine ourselves, it is our responsibility to recognize that in ourselves, to repent of it, and to do what is right. Don't just stop doing something. Do Put on the new man. Do what is right. All right? So the next one is Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 9. Here at the end, and this is tucked away in Titus. um, And in verses 9 through 11. Titus being one of the pastoral epistles right before Hebrews and Philemon. So I need to go ahead and read it. Titus chapter 3 verse 9. But avoid... Foolish disputes, genealogies, uh, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. They're useless. There's some things you're better off not to be talking about. It's useless. Verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Brother, you're, you're being divisive. Brother, you're being divisive. After the first and second admonition, he says, reject him. Have nothing to do with him. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So I share these two passages of Scripture with you to know, church, that there is a precedent in the Bible for not putting up with division in the church. Because if we put up with division in the church, then it is just going to grow like a cancer within us. And it's going to cause much more trouble than it would have if we would reject, if we would avoid, if we would turn away from. And you say, well, that's, that sounds really mean. Brother Eric, I can't believe that you'd stand up here on a Sunday morning and say that we ought to do that to another brother or sister in Christ. It's not me who's saying it. It's the word of the Lord. Why? God is wiser than men. And it is ultimately for that person's benefit and for our benefit. We want to cast no one out. We want them to see the error of their ways and to turn from that to that which is in line with the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine that's according to that. It may be me at some point. It may be you at some point. But we must love one another enough to seek to obey the Scriptures in this. Now, we've got to move on. There's unity in the ordinances. Unity in the ordinances. The first one is this, baptism. Baptism. 
And here I would cite 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Though the baptism here is not necessarily talking about a water baptism. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, after having spoken, or in the midst of, rather, talking about spiritual gifts, giving instruction to the church, in verse 13, he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So we see the unity that is found in baptism. Because this spirit baptism, spiritual baptism, where the spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ is something that all of us have experienced. And I would maybe draw an application from that to say the the same mode of baptism that all of us experience ought to match this. That's why we would believe that those who are members of New Life Baptist Church must be baptized by immersion, buried with Christ into baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, that we should all have partaken of that same mode of baptism for the Spirit of Christ has baptized us all into one body of Christ. And in Galatians 3... You might want to look there, Galatians 3, verse 26 and 29 through 29. Writing to the churches of Galatia, he says, For you are all sons of God, verse 26, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, our unity. For And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there's unity in the ordinances because even in baptism, we see unity as we are joined together in Christ. Number, the last one is this, communion. Communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this was alluded to earlier, Brother David alluded to this. And we'll uh, quickly round, wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 16. If you'll join me there. Uh, The scripture says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, or you might have fellowship, fellowship of the body of Christ? See, that's what we were doing earlier. When we took the cup and took the bread, we were fellowshipping in the blood of Christ and in the body of Christ. Notice verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For all partake of that one bread. Communion is reminding us of our unity. A unity that is afforded us 
in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection from the dead. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 and following. Uh, We were here at verse 19 earlier, so I will not read verse 19. But if you look there at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, it says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. And then in verse 20, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you... Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. In my New Testament class, uh, we've been doing a topic study on the Lord's Supper. And this past Sunday, we were, this past Thursday, we were finishing up that topic study. And I asked the question, why is this, what, why is what was going on in the Corinthian church such a bad thing? that they were looking out for themselves, that they were going on and getting their own food and not worrying about if anybody else got it. And the answer was correct from one of the students there. It's because we, have, we are one. We are one body. We're one bread. And to not be concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church is to not value that body and that unity that Christ has afforded us as we ought to. All right, church division, an affront to the gospel. I hope that shows us a little bit this morning why it is that. And I would like to invite you to consider your relationship with the Lord because the gospel's been thoroughly taught, spoke of this morning in various forms, whether it's singing, through prayers, through the following, the um, observance of the Lord's Supper, or through the preaching of the Word. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why? Why do you not believe in Him? Do you not believe that He lived? Do you not believe that He died? Do you not believe that He rose again on the third day? Do you not believe that He was seen alive from the dead? See, that is the gospel. And that's what God is calling us by His grace to believe. And if you do believe that, then the Scripture tells us that those who are disciples of Jesus, who are made disciples of Jesus, are then to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we invite you to obey the Lord in His Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we are in need of your grace to keep us and help us to grow in our unity. Father, to forgive one another when we have wronged each other. For surely we have and we will. 
Lord, to reconcile with one another, to not just be able to say, well, I forgave, and then that relationship be broken. But Lord, just as you've reconciled us to yourself through the gospel of Jesus, Father, I pray that same gospel would be trusted in that we might be ready to reconcile with one another. And I thank you, Father, for the unity that's here. I don't know of anything big that's going on in the congregation. There could always be something small popping up here and there. And then that can grow into big things. And Lord, if we don't handle our part correctly, then we can be a contributor to it. For the ways that I've failed in that in the past, please forgive me. For the way that we have contributed to that in the past as a church, please forgive us. And I pray we would grow and learn. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunity to do that. As we sing now, may we remember Christ and seek to be like him. In all sincerity, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.